Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.friendlychurch.com. Thank you, Lee, for that wonderful prayer. And thank you, praise team, for surprising me with a song it was new to me, but I just couldn't sing it. Not that I'm not gifted at singing, you all know I love to sing. But the words really spoke to my heart. Speak, O oh God, till your church is built with your glory. If God doesn't speak here today, then I may I must as well sit down. It's all about God. Uh, I love this church. I want God to speak to every single one to us today. Welcome back to our sermon series from the book of Daniel. <clears throat> Staying sane in an insane world. Today we'll learn another principle and another way of staying sane in our insane world. I'm just curious, how many of you were here for the first three sermons? Wow, the majority of you. Do you remember the principles we have learned so far? Daniel 1, not necessarily about food, though it may seem so. In Daniel 1, we looked at Daniel 1 verse 8 when Daniel purposed in his heart to not defile himself with anything that will compromise his faith. And God made miracles. So the principle we learn in Daniel 1 is this, do what is right in God's sight and God will act in a miraculous way for you. He will make a miracle for you. So expect a miracle. God is faithful and He's just and He will literally do miracles in our lives when, when we purposely choose to serve Him, to worship Him and Him only. Principle number two from Daniel chapter two, watch for God. We live in this insanely fast society. We live fast. We eat our food fast or we eat fast food. And it never crosses our mind to slow down and watch for God. Watch how he shows up in our life. Daniel chapter 2 teaches us that God shows up in our life in unexpected places, at unexpected times, in unexpected ways. He did that for Nebuchadnezzar. He will do it for you and for me. God will do unexpected things in your life. Watch for God is the second principle we learn from Daniel. The next principles we will learn today and next Sabbath, uh, uh, we will learn directly from the life of Nebuchadnezzar. 
And today we'll skip chapter 3 for the sake of matching our learning with our church life. Today we'll learn a practical principle for Neb from Nebuchadnezzar. We'll go directly to chapter 4 from the book of Daniel. Stop, reflect, change. Let's bow our heads one more time. Heavenly gracious Father, we ask that you speak to us this morning. And we ask that the words that will come will be reflected of your character. And Lord, that will make an imprint on our hearts. And Lord, we ask that we'll live and that we'll act according to your word. Thank you for blessing us one more day, one more time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever been to this park? Can you guess what that park is? Yes, you got it. Sequoia National Forest. Impressive is not adequate word to describe the majesty, the magnificence of these mighty trees. See, there are tall trees, there are taller trees, and there are tallest trees. These ancient forests are made up of sequoias and redwoods, and uh, literally people come from all over the world to California to see these towering giants. And through their incredible volume, giant sequoias claim the largest tree in the world. In fact, this one tree right there is the largest and the oldest. Uh, it, 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 it weighs about 2.7 million pounds and stands 275 feet tall from its base, and the base is about 100 feet wide. Not only is General Sherman the largest living tree, it also owns the title of largest living organism on the planet. You might wonder, why, did Pastor, why does Pastor Mario talk about these humongous trees today? Today, we're going to look at Daniel chapter 4. And there, in chapter 4 of the book of Daniel, is a tree in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He says, Nebuchadnezzar says, I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, its height reached to the heavens, and it could, it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Wow! That must have been in his dream, a huge, humongous tree passing everything else. This is the tree chapter of the book of Daniel. Well, I want to ask you a trivia question, a Bible trivia question. You always have, now this year, we, I'm planning to, to have Bible trivia questions in the bulletin every Sabbath. It kind of draws us to God's Word to, to see, you know, things that probably we didn't pay attention when we, we read quickly through the Bible. 
But today I've got another one for you right here. Here is this. Who wrote the book of Daniel? Who wrote the book of Daniel? Daniel and somebody else? Another prophet, a historian? Who wrote it? Daniel, that's right, but somebody else wrote a, a, a part of it. Who wrote chapter 4 of Daniel? King Nebuchadnezzar. How amazing, even more amazing, chapter 4 of Daniel is actually an official letter containing the king's personal testimony to how God changed his life. And here is the plot of the story as King Nebuchadnezzar writes it. He had dreamed another dream. And once again, he called for his wise men. And even though this time he could remember the dream clearly, the wise men could not give an explanation. Maybe because they were afraid to, right? And just as they scrambled what to say, they were looking for words, their supervisor walks in. That's Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar tells his dream to Daniel. Daniel 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Redwood? Sequoia? <laughs> Maybe. Well, just like all the beasts in the book of Daniel, there are like a, a, a combination of animals. This tree also cannot be compared with anything else. But then, in his dream, Nebuchadnezzar sees a watcher who ordered it to be chopped down. This big, huge, humongous tree is ordered to be chopped down. Notice how the watcher shifts from it to him. Verse 15, let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man and let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times pass over him. How many times pass over him? Seven why seven? By now, Nebuchadnezzar knew and he understands God's coded messages. Verse 17, this decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men gives it to whomever he wills and sets over it the lowest of men. Daniel knew immediately what the dream meant, but he hesitated for a few moments. According to scholarly dating, the date of this dream is about 569 B.C., after Nebuchadnezzar reigned for about 35 years. 
By then, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar have been friends for a long time. Without doubt, Daniel was praying, and often he prayed for Nebuchadnezzar, and he prayed for his conversion. And now God was about to answer that prayer. As Daniel was listening to Nebuchadnezzar recounting the dream, he hesitated to answer, not from fear, but from wonder. Wow! God was indeed at work. And Nebuchadnezzar encouraged him to speak the truth. He knew he could fully trust this exceptional counselor, Daniel. And he said, Belteshazzar, he said, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. And so Daniel tells him what God had revealed. And here is what God had revealed. If Nebuchadnezzar will not change his ways, his mind and reasoning will be taken from him and he will begin to act like an animal, to eat like an animal, basically live like an animal. In other words, he will become insane. Can you imagine being Daniel speaking this message to your boss? And Daniel ends his interpretation with a plea for repentance. Daniel 4 verse 27, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. You know, what, what really fascinates me, it's not the prediction as much as it is how God works with sinners. Think about this. He is a, 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 indeed a merciful and gracious God. He allowed Nebuchadnezzar, he allowed Nebuchadnezzar to make up his mind, to, to pick a choice, to have a choice and to make it. And he gave him 12 months to make his choice. God gave Nebuchadnezzar a full ear, a full, he gave him the chance to, to stop, to reflect and make necessary changes so that he would not suffer. There was no reason for Nebuchadnezzar to suffer. Is that what Nebuchadnezzar did? Not really. That year was a excellent, was an exciting and satisfying year for Nebuchadnezzar. See, as a young king, he fought Egypt to no avail. But now, this year, as an old man king, he finally overpowered Egypt. And Babylon was the capital of his mighty empire. About 120 years before, in 689 BC, the Assyrians raised it to the ground. But now, 120 years later, it was rebuilt, first by his father, and now by Nebuchadnezzar. He enlarged this city, as you can see a rendition there on the screen, he enlarged it to nearly three times its original size and made it the largest city in the world at that time. 
He just finished his summer palace and was taking a walk on the rooftop, overlooking this city, its majesty and its magnitude. And he said to himself, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? This is what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. See, for a time, the impression of warning and the counsel of the prophet of Daniel was strong about, uh, upon Nebuchadnezzar, but the heart that is not transformed by the grace of God soon loses the impression of the Holy Spirit. Self-indulgence and ambition had not yet been removed from his heart, and Nebuchadnezzar again allowed himself to be controlled by that spirit of jealousy against the kingdoms that will follow. And instead of being led to repentance, the king indulged his pride until he lost confidence in the interpretation of the dream. What did he indulge? His pride. Has it happened to you? You worked hard, you made efforts, and you look at what you have accomplished, and suddenly that pride starts to build up inside of you. Pride is a cunning thing. It can take over our mind very quickly when we fail to give credit to God for what He has done through us. My friends, I plead with you not to fall trap into, uh, uh, not to fall into this trap of the devil. What happened for the next seven years in Nebuchadnezzar's life is greatly speculated. But one thing is sure: Nebuchadnezzar had time to reflect on his life and on God's efforts to save him. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. My friends, Nebuchadnezzar's story teaches us that there are two ways you and I can look at our life. Can look at our lives. One way is to look horizontally, to look at our life from the world's point of view, to look at our accomplishments, at our successes, and become boastful, allowing self and pride to take over our heart. My friend, this type of reflection leads to personal destruction and ruin. But there's another way to stop and reflect. Rather than looking down at the world, look up. Nebuchadnezzar said, I lifted up my eyes to heaven, not to his kingdom, not to his palaces, not to his accomplishments. He looked up to heaven. He now looked at his life and reflected on it from a heavenly perspective. In her book, Petrarchs and Prophets, Ellen White writes about Nebuchadnezzar this way. 
as he added nation after nation to Babylonian empire, he added more and more to his fame as the ruler of the age. It is not surprising, she says, that the successful king, so ambitious and proud-spirited, should be tempted to turn aside from the path of humility, which alone leads to true greatness. What, what path leads to true greatness? The path of humility. My friends, this is the way to reflect on our lives. We must ask God to give us a spirit of humility. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, indulged his pride. Many Parents take pride in their children. People take pride in their work. So what was wrong with Nebuchadnezzar's pride? I tell you what was wrong. Some words have several definitions. For example, to a pet lover, a cat, C-A-T, cat, is a little furry animal. To a construction worker, cat is a caterpillar tractor. Dictionaries say that pride in one's work or family can be a wholesome delight, a reasonable self-respect, or a justifiable sense of satisfaction. But there is another kind of pride defined as inordinate self-esteem. This kind was cherished by both Lucifer and Nebuchadnezzar. Proverbs 16:18 there Solomon says, "Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall." Solomon goes even on to say that God hates pride. Proverbs 8:13. The one reason that God hates this type of pride is that when we think too highly of ourselves, we tend to think less highly of other people and we begin to treat them unkindly. Pride gives us a wrong, wrong feelings about other people, and it also separates us from God. When God purposed to love Nebuchadnezzar, it was for the purpose that he in turn become more merciful with his citizens. He did not go, he did not, uh, he did not make Nebuchadnezzar go insane. God is the creator and the source of all life. He didn't do that. Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being. All that God needed to do in Nebuchadnezzar's case was to stop providing that very life support which Nebuchadnezzar was trying to ignore. See, pride always leads us to forget our dependence on God. While walking down the street, a minister met an inactive member of his congregation. As they passed by a vacant lot, 
which was turned into a flourishing vegetable garden by this member, hoping to persuade this inactive member, the minister said, God surely blessed your garden. And the member replied, you should have seen this when God had had it all to himself. And I put a picture on the screen. You should have seen it when God had it all to himself. I know it's a bit funny, but the fact is both men had a point. Without hard work and planning, weeds will take over. But without God to provide sunshine and rain, there will be no garden, right? Consider this garden our church, the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church. Without hard work and planning, weeds will take over, but without God to provide, and, uh, provide life and spiritual nourishment, there will be no garden, there will be no church. This Sunday, tomorrow, tomorrow morning is a historical morning for Middletown Church. Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living. Long before him, King Daniel wrote in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We, as body of believers, as the body of Christ, we need to examine and reflect at what we're doing well, and what we have not done well in the recent past, and ask God to search us and to lead us, and through us, to lead many in our community, to lead us in a way everlasting. Remember, church is not a building. Church is people who attend and participate in the activities of a certain organization. As a member or friend of the Middletown Church, you are very valuable to this congregation. You are very important and you are needed in the life of this church. You are the only you created in the world. There was never a you before you, and there will never be a you again. You are you, and you've been placed in this world, and you've been placed in this church for a reason. See, before you were even born, God knew who you are, and he has made provisions for you to be a member or a friend of the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's realm at random. Ecclesiastes 3.1 tells us, as we focus our attention on recent concerns raised from amongst the church congregation, we, as the body of the believers who form this church, from the pastor to the members, from the oldest to the smallest to the youngest, we are responsible in God's sight to stop to pause for a moment, for maybe a couple of hours, reflect, 
and change. Make, consider necessary changes so that the ministries will thrive here at Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church. So a special meeting, a town hall meeting, was scheduled for this coming Sunday, for tomorrow, February 23rd at 10 a.m. If you have any remarks, suggestions, concerns, or complaints, this will be the time to be heard freely and not non-judgmentally. And if you happen to watch us live and you're a member or a friend of the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church, you are part of us. Our goal is, is to gather our body of believers for an honest and open conversation about who we are, what we're doing currently, and how we can be used by God to practically move this church to a new phase, to a this phase of service and spirituality so that it can minister and make a difference in our lives and in the lives of the community we live in. So, if you have a heart for Middletown, your presence at this meeting is vitally important to freely express yourself and be part of this conversation. And in order to make sure God is in it, before we even begin, I sincerely invite every participant to a personal reflection. We're going to follow in the footsteps of Nebuchadnezzar's. We learn from him today. I invite all of us to stop and reflect at how God has worked in our personal life. I invite all of us to look at how we have fallen short of God's calling. And I invite you to look up to heaven as Nebuchadnezzar did. I invite our church members and our friends to take some time in personal reflection this afternoon, tonight, and look at our lives with a heavenly perspective and engage in spiritual repentance, confession, and consecration of our life. See, we may have flattered ourselves as Nicodemus did that our life has been upright and our moral character is correct and think that we need not humble our heart before God. But that's not true. In Steps to Christ, page, page 28, paragraph 3, Ellen White says, When the light from Christ shines into our souls, we shall see how impure we are. We shall discern the selfishness of motive, the enmity of God against God that has defiled every act of life. Did you know that God doesn't see all sins as of equal magnitude? You may be surprised at this, but that's true. Steps to Christ, page 31, the inspired writer says, The drunkard is despised and is told that his sin will exclude him from heaven, while pride, selfishness, and covetousness too often go unrebuked. 
But these are the sins that are especially offensive to God. He who falls into some grosser sins may feel a sense of his shame and poverty and his need of the grace of Christ, but pride feels no need. And so it closes the heart against Christ and the infinite blessings he came to give. It's very easy to express desires or dislikes. However, we need to ask ourselves, what motivates my desires? What drives my passion for church ministry? Is there anything between me and the Lord? I heard a story recently. One of our members here shared with me how the producer of, uh, of, of, of um, this movie, I forgot, what's the name of it? Lloyd. Proof, what's that? Uh, fireproof, there you go, fireproof. The, pro the producers of Fireproof gathered their team before they even started a project and said this, I would like all of you to make a special interest, a special effort, that nothing is between you and the Lord. Because we want this movie to be successful and bless many people. And if you think you can't, that's okay. You don't have to be part of this project. But you have a certain time. They gave him a certain time. And they made a clean sleep with the Lord. If we ask like David, create a clean heart in me, O God, I can guarantee you, he will do it. Let's leave and let go of everything that is not according to his will at the foot of the cross. See, Jesus, your Savior and my Savior, died so that his blood can cleanse us. Let's come to the cross as we are and ask Jesus to remove from our hearts anything that stands in the way between us and the Savior. When we come together as a holy congregation with holy motives and desires, the outcome of tomorrow's meeting will align with God's purpose for Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church. And you may say, how do you know that, Pastor Marius? Well, we're going to have a holiness thermometer and we're going to measure no if you're hot or cold we don't know that that's between you and the Lord but the point is when we come together as a holy congregation united under his banner we are going to have a great outcome my friends God has infinite blessings he wants to bless this church. Let's have a personal reflection of our life today, this afternoon. And let's come together tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. And by the way, it will be food too. And have a corporate group reflection of our church. I pray that God bless Middletown Church with the right spirit of reflection. 
So the lesson for this weekend, how do we stay sane in an insane world? Stop, reflect, change. May God help us implement this lesson. Amen.